You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now welcome your host, Jenny Polly and his lovely wife Tracy. I hear she's a lovely girl. <laughs> This is Lily from Los Angeles, California, and you're listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. everybody and welcome to episode 42 our past lives episode this is jerry and i'm with tracy hey 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 that sounded a lot like Dwayne from uh what was that what was that uh what's happening oh hey 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 oh i forgot all about that show <laughs> okay what's up y'all oh that sounds like something too don't it yeah like somebody hee haw um oh, Guys, we are excited to do this episode. We've been talking about doing this one for a little bit, and then as we got deeper and deeper into the stories, uh, it became a fascinating subject for both of us. We originally on this show was going to do this and the Queen Mary, and actually uh, I got so much into this that I decided that we were going to scrap the Queen Mary, not really scrap the Queen Mary. I don't have that authority. I don't own the ship, uh, and they still like to use it as a hotel now. West, so I'll let them keep the ship, but we're kicking it off the show. And that was a lot of babbling. That's what I do, <laughs> and apparently, so do you. Uh, babble, babble, <laughs> excuse, excuse my ignorance. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Um, but I thought this was just a fascinating show, so we, I just started digging up more stories and more stories. I'm like, well, we're just gonna do a whole show of this, so pardon uh, our problems of not doing everything as we're promised, but uh. That's kind of what we do. We promise stuff and under-deliver. That's how we roll. <laughs> Anyways, um, I wanted to start off by thanking our new patrons. Um, the Patreon account started off uh, right before the last show, and we tried to announce some people, and I think I cut some of it off. I went back and listened to the show uh, with my poor editing skills and noticed that I cut some of the names off. So what I'd like to be able to do is just do, if I rename you, it's just because uh, I didn't want to leave anybody out so if you and guys are help, love you. yeah you're helping us out we want to help you so what i want to first do is just name all the people who have pledged so far ben dietzel rebecca i'm gonna screw this up phil kowski you did good you don't know that you don't know if that's how it's pronounced have faith in yourself she'll let me know glenn burton lisa goldman pat kemp carolyn ogle john peterson Dan Garrity, Heather Leffert, Jerry Kennett, 
Tyler Acox, Paula Johnson, Ryan Jones, Priscilla Gordon, uh, Brian Veerling, Kara George, Jody Peterson, Kathleen Nelson, Heidi, up in uh, Sweden. I won't butcher your last name this time. Sarah Orozco, Jackie Getz, and Molly Frias. You guys are awesome. Thank you. 22 of you guys have already signed up. Um, which means you're going to be getting free stuff. Woohoo! Matter of fact, the the uh, one of the first things that uh, most of you are going to get is going to be the listeners episode, which will be out in, uh, June first. I keep wanting to say May first. It's going to be out June first, and the cool thing about that one is going to be some of you guys who are donating to the Patreon are going to be on it already. Jackie gets. We've already done your interview, and then we also did Sarah Roscoe's interview, and we got a couple more coming up. Uh, tomorrow night and we're putting that thing together we got a new uh, snazzy little intro for it so i think you guys are enjoy this we're putting some efforts uh i did change some of this originally when we the patreon came out i said we were going to do a minimum 45 minute show uh for the listener episode and then um the people who contribute five dollars get an extra show that's going to be paranormal or uh um, true crime kind of the same thing but both of those are supposed to be minimum 45 minutes and i've upped that to a minimum of an hour. You guys deserve an hour show, and that's what we're going to do. Sounds great. A um, couple other people, real quick to thank. So we had some iTunes reviews. And if you guys will put your name, some of you do, but if you'll at least tag your name at the end of it, we'll, we'll be able to give you proper credit. But the iTunes reviews have, we've had since last week, Gremlins0628. I don't think that's your legal name. <laughs> it would be cool if it was. Uh, Jana Lynn, that's your name. She actually did tag hers. I think this one is pronounced R. Detloff, probably Russian. Uh, Sheep is here. And then we had Debris Hut. Now, Debris Hut, I normally don't read these reviews, but I'm actually going to read this one uh, for a reason. All right, now I want to start off on this review to say we're not being critical of the review. We ask you guys for reviews, so we don't have a problem with you giving reviews. But I just wanted to touch on this one a little bit. Here's what the review said. It was a three-star review, and it said, It is a great show, and I will not stop listening, but Tracy, tone it down with the silly comments. They come across as slightly ignorant. The show is funny, and the stories are excellent, but the silly questions and giggling is annoying. Keep it light and casual, but don't get too silly. Here's where my problem lies with that review. Not your opinion. I have no problem with the opinion at all. And if that's the way you feel, you know, I'm completely with you that you have a right to feel that way. Where my problem comes in is when you put that up as a review, then what it does is actually hurts the show because we get a three-star review with something that we wish you would have just contacted us and said, hey, here's my feelings on the show. There's not a show that goes by that I don't talk about how we interact with every one of you guys on Facebook or on Twitter or email. And I would have just preferred that you would have just sent us a message rather than just blast it where it actually hurts the show. If you actually do like the show, that didn't do anybody any good. And I can't respond to it other than this way. I have no way of responding to a review where if you write us an email or on a Facebook, you know, I can say, hey, for example, what exactly what kind of comments are you talking about? I don't even have any way of asking you that. 
without doing it like this. You know, we're not saying we're perfect by any means, but at the same time, this is what we do. This is how we do the show. This is what I think the majority of people out there like about the show is the fact that we're a little goofy. And does she make ignorant comments? Absolutely. She makes ignorant comments at home. I can't (laughs) cut those off. I can at least edit some of them out here. But the bottom line is, this is who we are. We all... None of us are perfect. You know, we're all just, you know, riding by the seat of our pants doing this thing and trying to get better every single week. Like I said, I have no problem with the uh, the comment. Neither do I. Yeah. I just I just wish you would have just written us where you're so accessible to be able to say, hey, here's my opinion. And we probably would have had a, a really cool conversation about it. And we could have used it constructively to maybe get better. Because it could have been something you said that we was like, well, I guess I could see your point. And I like, bet it was about the cell phone thing. Because <laughs> I was pretty dumb. <laughs> so, but but whoever wrote that, we have it's no ill feelings oh, or, no. We or nothing see, we like that. You. We love you. Yeah. So I mean, I don't want you to take that way. We're not calling you out, and that's you know we you know. But I just you know, like I said, we are accessible to anybody out there. If anybody has a problem with something, do write us. You know, we. Yeah, I really, you know, I really would enjoy knowing what you didn't like. Seriously, in all seriousness. I would. I would really would like to know that, but um, like I said, there's no hard feelings. We love you anyway, and just hope you keep listening to the show. We appreciate it. It's been a really good week for the show, other than that uh, review, because uh, we actually have set up. Uh, I'm going to be on Ryan Singer's show. Uh, he's a huge, um, big time comedian out there. He's on uh, Mark Maron's uh, podcast all the time. What the fuck? Uh, actually, it's just WTF. You said the F word again. Well, they shortened it. Sorry. And then he's on his uh, television show that's on IFC on a regular basis. He's been on all the big shows, Bob and Tom. Uh, but he's got a, a paranormal show called Me and Paranormal You, and he's invited me to be on his show. That's huge for our show. It's going to give us a, a whole new listener base. Jim Harold, uh, I will be on Campfire sometime in June telling some personal stories. And Jim has agreed to come on our show in an interview. That's huge because if anybody knows who Jim is, he is the king of the paranormal podcast world. So something I've been trying to do for a long time and finally got accomplished. And it's because you guys listen enough to where it's worth his time to come on here. Exactly. Thank you guys for that support. We have a very cool interview at the end of this show. And we're going to tie it in with some stuff. Bo Keister, um, who's been in... uh, I keep wanting to say Clash of the Titans, but it's Remember the Titans. Those are two totally different movies. <laughs> <laughs> but he was in Remember the Titans. Uh, he's been in a movie, a cool movie on Netflix called uh, uh, The Taking of Deborah Logan. It's Like I said, if you haven't seen it, I'd check it out. A uh, bunch of other movies and commercials. and, and But he his main thing he's in now is him and a couple of other uh, comedian friends and actors of his do a show called Hillbilly Horror Show. And it's funny because when we were first starting this podcast, I would Google us to see if we come up and we didn't. But when I put in Hillbilly Horror, their show always came up. So I started watching it a while back just because I was curious. And uh, what they do is they will do some little comedy skits, Hillbilly style. And then they will show you a little horror short film. Sometimes it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever the case is. But they're really good movies that you would probably not get to see otherwise. Well, what they did was they sent us four DVDs. They've actually got uh, season one through four out, and they sent us um, two of the seasons, two copies of each of the two seasons. 
and we're going to give those away to you guys. And I'm just trying to figure out the best way to do it. And I, after scratching my head and trying to think what would be the best way to engage and reward the real fans out there, which is what I want to do, I've decided that I need for everybody to go to our Facebook page, which just go to Facebook and look up Hillbilly Horror Stories. Join that page because what I'm going to do on Monday is I'm going to put a trivia question up that's going to pertain to one of our shows in the next four weeks. So each of the next four weeks, I'm going to give you a show to specifically go back and listen to. And then I'm going to ask a question and whoever answers that question first will win the DVD. So this is going to make you do a little bit of homework. The first show that you need to go back and listen to, and this is coming out on Sunday, so you'll have Sunday and Monday to do it before it comes out, the Alistair Crowley episode. Do you remember which episode that was? Nine. Well, that was a completely ignorant thing to say. (laughs) It's actually episode 15. Well, I wasn't that far off. Yeah, just, you know. (laughs) Six? Six shows? Ask the courts if it's that far off when you're talking about a girl. (laughs) (laughs) so go back and listen to the alistair crowley episode episode 15 and i'm going to have a trivia question that you will have had to have listened to that show in order to answer and the first one that answers it on monday on our facebook page so that's the second part you need to go to our facebook page and sign up so there you go that's how we're going to do that for the next four weeks each show i will give you a different show to go back and listen to and I'm not even lying, just make up a show that we don't even have. Go back and listen to the one. Of, <laughs> you'll be looking. <laughs> All right. I guess that's not funny. Now nah, I'm saying ignorant shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's get into this show. Qu- quick iggling. I'll You're going to get us in trouble. I'll quit. Dang it. Losing listeners but a second. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do this show on past lives. And as I said, I've got, I think, nine or ten stories for you. And I think every one of these are super fascinating. And surprisingly enough, I chose every one I chose was about children. Oh, really? I mean, there's a bunch of adults that that have the same situations, but I was more fascinated with the children's story. So, mm-hmm. so let's get into the first one. And some of these don't have names because when you're dealing with minors, they kind of give false names or something to kind of protect yeah, them. But of course, let's talk about the first one. The first one is a three year old in Golan Heights, which is right on the the border of Syria and Israel. Of course, you know, everything that's going on over there now, it's kind of uh, been in the news and stuff. But this goes back a little bit. The little boy remembers being killed with an axe. Oh, my gosh. And he says he remembers who did it. Three years old. So what happened was he started telling people that he had been killed with an axe and that he has a birthmark on his head. Now, over in, in, in um, the Far East, they're really big into reincarnation, past lives. They take all this stuff serious. When you start talking, you know, if you're a little kid and you start talking about this, they don't, you know, poo-poo it and, and assume that you're just, oh, he's making up stuff. They take it really serious. Wow. And they believe that if you have a birthmark, a birthmark is something to do from your past life. So keep in mind, he actually had a birthmark on his head. And so he starts and he's telling people about this and the people in in the community, you know, obviously, like I said, they took it serious and and they, you know, they start asking him what else he remembered about his past life. Now, Dr. Eli Lash, who was actually one of the townspeople, he witnessed some of these events. 
So you've got an actual doctor who's credible, Mm -hmm. who's seeing all these things. So it's not just, you know, townspeople rumors. So the little boy led them to the place where he said his body was actually buried. Oh, gosh. They start digging. They find a skeleton. Along with the skeleton, they find an axe. Oh, Lord. On the skull, there was a fracture, Hmm. obviously made from the axe, exactly where the boy's birthmark is on his head. That is sick. I can't. I can't. And I can picture that in my head now, and it's not. So then, on top of that, he tells them the name. Now, this is a town he had never been in. He tells them the name of his killer. Police go... They find the guy. They question. They said when he when they showed up that he became white as a ghost. And then, he knew. He knew. and then when they started questioning him, he actually confessed to the murder. Oh. That, that guy had went missing. I mean, he had been missing for like four years or something. And so now I wonder all this, how they found him though. Huh? I wonder how they found him. Uh, the little boy took. Oh, him took to, him to that's oh so he's <laughs> see this actually, is what this is what the guy's talking about. Well. I mean, I, I see this. I get this. So the boy led him to where he lived, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. He told him the town, and then they so I they guess went I to still the got that image in my head. I just can't understand it. So the next story we're going to talk about, we're going to breeze through these, but because there's so many of them. The next story was five-year-old Luke Roman. At the age of two, he would mention Pam. His mom, Erica, was like, who's this Pam person? Mm-hmm. And he said, from the office. Not really. This is- <laughs> You're dumb. <laughs> now I'm saying ignorant stuff. So when she started asking more and more about Pam, she says, who is Pam? And he says, I'm Pam. Two years old. And she said... I don't understand how you're Pam. And he said, well, I was living in Chicago. I was a black woman. This was a white little white kid. Mm-hmm. He said he was a black woman living in Chicago, and he died in a fire. She oh. died in a fire. And she says, well, did, how did you get here? And she said, when I went to heaven, God pushed me back down, and then I was a baby in your stomach. What the heck? Obviously, this kind of messed with Erica a little bit because, one, they had never been to Chicago. She did some research, and she found out that there was a Pam Robinson who was one of 15 people who died in a fire in Chicago in 1993. That is crazy. Oh, my gosh, I got chills. That is crazy. Here's another one for you. This is one where I'll probably screw up the name. Six-year-old Taranji Singh in a village in India from the time he was two years old. These kids all talk at really early ages, too. I was going to say, man, that's young. From the time he was two years old, his father, whose name was Sudin Now Singh, and he lived in a village about 40 miles away from a village that he claimed to have been from. 
Mm-hmm. So they're 40 miles away from this village. This two-year-old is just saying, hey, I'm from this village that how in hell would he know he's two years old? Yeah. But he's just picking a village that's, that's 40 miles. And that's another thing you're going to find out with a lot of these stories. A lot of these reincarnations or past lives, they're not really very far from where they were to begin with. Some oh. of them are, but for the most part, a lot of them are within, you know, a wow. couple of hours distance. Yeah. So he starts telling the story about when he was in ninth grade. He died. Mm-hmm. And when he died, his father was Jeet Singh. He was hit and killed on September 10th, 1992. This kid knows exact dates and everything. When they asked him how he died, he said he was riding his bike and a man on a scooter hit him head on. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and he died. And... He even went as far to say that his his book bag, or he had you know his books that he yeah. was carrying, mm-hmm. his books were soaked in, in blood, mm-hmm. and in his wallet he had thirty rupees. Mm-hmm. So, because he was so insistent about what had happened, they decided to go to the village and just you know check, check around a little bit. Yeah. Let's see what's going on. They found a teacher who verified that they did have a kid by that name who died from being hit by a scooter. She also verified that the kid's father was the uh, Jeet Singh. So this kid has now named the town, how old he was, that he was killed, and what his dad's name was. So they go and they talk to the family. The family... I mean, we're obviously like, how do you know all this stuff? Yeah. He was able to look at pictures. Like the family had pictures. He was able to look at pictures and pick himself out in the pictures. That's me. That's me. That's me. And was completely accurate. On top of that, the family also verified that he had... 30 rupees in his wallet when he was hit and killed and that his blood was in in fact soaked into his books. Oh my God. That is, I don't know if that's creepy or I don't know what that is. Now here's another thing. There was a handwriting analyst who actually had this, this current kid Mm -hmm. write some stuff, which keep in mind, this kid's like two years old. Yeah. Well, yeah, He, he had him, write some stuff, but they compared it to older handwriting Mm -hmm. of the kid that had passed away. And they said it was amazingly similar Mm -hmm. in a lot of aspects. So even the handwriting analysis worked out. This is one of the cooler stories. I think, I think, I I think they're all cool, but this was one that just kind of really stood out. This is the story of Sam. When Sam was 18 months old, Keep in mind, once again, these young kids speaking, Mm -hmm. he was able to speak in complete sentences at 18 months. One time when his dad was changing his diaper, he looked at his dad and said, when I was your age, I used to change your diapers. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) I wonder what dad did. Now, Dr. Jim Tucker, who's a, a... he works at the University of Virginia, but this is what he deals in his past lives and stuff like that. He started helping the family out and investigating. And he said that after making that statement, 
they started looking at some old photos because uh, his dad had actually went and got some books, some old photograph books at his uh, from his mom's house. Mm-hmm. And they started looking through the looking at these and, he, and they find this old black and white picture mm-hmm. uh, of this you know car. I don't know what kind of car it was, but I mean it was like a 1956 model, something yeah. or other. And uh, so it was a really old car. And the little boy, keep in mind, 18 months old, he sees that and he said, uh, hey, that's my car. And they're like, no, that's your grandfather's car. He said, he said, no, that's my car. So now they start pulling out all these other pictures and they find a picture of this boy's grandfather. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, the kids, the, the, his dad's dad. Yeah. So they find they find this picture of him when he was young, like a teenager, mm-hmm. with some other boys, and uh, they said, "Does this picture look familiar?" He pointed right to his grandpa and said, "That's me." And they said, "No, that's your grandpa." And he says, "No, that's me." Oh my god! <laughs> so they now are convinced that this little boy is the recreation of his grandpa. His dad's dad. And that's why he made the comment of, when I was your age, I was changing your diaper. (laughs) But I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, did his grandpa, I guess, just die of an old age? or? Yeah, I mean, and he didn't know him, obviously. I mean, because he died before him. Right. So he didn't know anything about his grandpa. But he was able to pick him out of pictures. That is the he craziest He was able to pick I've out what heard. his car was. Well, here's even more. So they asked him what he knew about his past life. And he said that his sister was turned into a fish by some bad men. Now, this sounds pretty silly on the surface. Mm-hmm. But that's what we do here. We get too silly. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm like, how do you turn into a fish? Well, that's a good question. So, they, like I said, it just sounded silly. And... That his dad didn't even realize this, but he starts checking with his mom. Come to find out, his dad's sister had been killed by the mob. No, and was thrown into, <gasps> into the water into the San Francisco Bay. <gasps> so technically, and they didn't even they didn't even know that, but he knew this. This little boy knew this. So technically, he was right. Some bad men made her a fish. Oh my god. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how can you hear stories like this and and start and have any doubt at all that there's probably something to this? I mean, these are stories from we've heard about a kid talking about a you know from Chicago. We've already talked about you know this one was in the United States, and then we've got them over in in uh, you know the, the Middle East. This is totally amazing. This is this is like really exciting, actually. So here's another one. Mm. Pormod Sharma in India, 1944. When he was two years old, he told his mom that his wife in Moradabad would cook for him. She didn't have to. He was two. You don't have to cook for me. My wife and, you know, a couple of towns over are cooked for me. <laughs> it's about 90 miles away is where this uh, Moradabad is. 90 miles away. Mm-hmm. It's a two-year-old just naming towns that he has no clue exist. So... This goes on for a while. This isn't something they just quickly rectified. So when he was between the ages and three and four, he starts talking about that he worked for a um, a company with family 
in Mahamabad or Moramabad. Moradabad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know. That's a hard one to say. Why can't all them kids be here? I can say Pittsburgh. I know. <laughs> but these are so cool. Keep going. So he says that he worked for his family, a, with a bunch of family members, in a uh, place that sold cookies and water. Mm-hmm. And he said it was called the uh, um, Mohan Brothers. Okay, that was the name of the that place. That was the name of the place. Mm-hmm. He, they decide that... that you know, they want to start checking some of this out, but then even more weird stuff starts to happen. He advises them against eating curd, which I think I'd advise people against eating curd. What too. is curd? Curd is kind of like, uh, it's almost like a porridge slash like a cottage cheese type mm, type deal. I'd be all down for that. Yeah, that's disgusting. Cottage cheese is the bomb. But With salt and pepper. So he's he's talking about he advises people to not do it, and then he wouldn't touch it. Um, he said it made him sick in his old life. Oh, maybe he was lactose intolerant. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And that was good, right? That's about like uh, the time when I was talking about I had a foot fetish, but I couldn't get anywhere with you because you were lactose intolerant. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. (laughs) Can we we get through this story? (laughs) He also wouldn't take baths. He said he died in a bathtub. Really? Yeah. So what happens is they decide that they're going to go up to this uh, Moradabad and check stuff out. So it took literally two years of him telling these stories before yeah. they decide to check it out. They go up there and they found out there was a family called Mira. That was their last name. Mm-hmm. Who owned a soda and cookie shop. Would you like to guess what the name of it is? I thought you said it was cookies and water. That's what he said he sold. Oh. But soda's water. It could be soda water. Oh, well, that's true. That's true. It was called? The Mohan Brothers. Exactly what he said it was called. And they said the manager died in 1943. When was this little boy born? 1944. A, a year later. They said that Parmada Mira was the name of the guy that died. He died... From an intestinal illness due from eating gorging, is what they said, on curd. Oh, gosh. And one of the cures that he tried before he died, medicinal baths. So everything that this little boy had said, completely accurate. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This is so interesting. I know. Ain't this fun? Yes. It's actually going quicker than I thought it would, so we actually could have done the Queen Mary, but oh well. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Let's go hear some more stuff. All right. 10-year-old Ryan Hemmons, he says that he was a Hollywood extra. Now, I don't know how all this came about, but somehow or another, his family is like, okay, you're full of shit. Where, Where are you getting this from? Yeah. But he was dead up convinced. I guess dead up's probably a bad term for bachelors. Probably, yes. But... But he, he was convinced. He that was that's convinced what he was. that he was an extra in a movie. Mm-hmm. Somehow or another, they start. They found a picture from Mae West's first movie called Night After Night. In this little black and white picture, there's like four people, and he points to one of them and says, "That's me." And when they did some research, this guy didn't even have any lines in the movie. Yeah, well, he just kind of stood yeah, there he just stood there basically. His name was Marty Martin, and. He basically 
was a nobody. I mean, I, I say nobody in, in a, the sense of as far as movie stars. Yeah. So he's he's nobody that this boy would have any clue who he was. Right. He, w- he wouldn't somebody you could Google or anything or figure out. I mean, it was just, it just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, so anyway, this kid though, Ryan Hemmons, he somehow was able to correctly identify 55 details of this guy's life. Oh, <laughs> This was even on, uh, I think, the Today Show was one of them. That was oh, wow. This no wasn't kidding. that long ago. I mean, this was probably in the last 15 years. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Some of the details he had. Said he, he said he often talked about he had two sisters, mm-hmm. his five marriages, uh, trips to Paris, and living on a street with rock in it. These are the things that this kid came up. So, I mean, let's say hypothetically that the kid was finding that stuff on the Internet. He wouldn't be able to find out what street he lived on and all that stuff. That's that stuff. Hell yeah, I can't even barely look and find out what street I live on in the mm-hmm. internet. You know, let alone somebody from yeah years and years ago. So then he starts talking about how much he missed an orange soda named True Aid. True Aid. True Aid. Hmm. So you remember the same Doctor Tucker we talked about earlier mm-hmm. from Virginia that specializes in this? He decided that he wanted to try to get involved in this case. He confirmed that most of the details were accurate, and he started talking about what some of them were. Uh, and, and like he said, he confirmed that most of these weren't on the Internet, couldn't yeah, be found yeah. on the Internet. For example, he lived on Roxbury Drive mm-hmm. when he said that, remember the little boy said he lived on a street that had rock in it? Oh. This guy lived on Roxbury Drive. Guess how many sisters he had? Two. Two. Exactly what he said. Also found out that he spent time in Paris on his honeymoon with his fifth, fifth wife. His fifth wife? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this kid literally just picked somebody who nobody would even know and knew 55 details about his life, everything from the street he lived on to the fact he was married five times and where he even spent his honeymoon at in Paris. You're cute. <laughs> you just are. You're so <laughs> You are cute. No. Well, honestly, if you if you knew somebody and personally and was telling you all that stuff, I mean, how would you react to that? I mean, I mean, I would almost immediately think they were lying, right? But if it was a little bitty kid, I think that's why I was more drawn to the kid ones. Yeah, I mean, how the kids? I mean, especially that young age. I think it's just amazing to me. So it wouldn't creep you out, I guess. No, I don't think it would freak me out at all. I guess we could take a little break here and uh, remind people that we've actually got T-shirts for sale on our website, uh, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Paula Brooks actually ordered a T-shirt and got it and liked it so much that she turned around and ordered another one. So. Thank you, doll. We appreciate that. And uh, Julie Gilder also ordered another one. So that's the she's the um, those are the two people this week. Both actually have ordered one before. So it's our first multi t shirt buyers. I know, and we would love to see the pictures of you guys in the t shirts. It's so fun. We look so forward to that to see what you guys look like and all that fun stuff. So keep doing that. Yeah, and some of you out there have gotten shirts and haven't sent us any pictures, which you're not obligated to. No, not at all. But uh, if you if you do have uh, your shirt and haven't sent us a picture, we'd really appreciate it. Actually helps us sell shirts when people see that other people are actually buying them and we're not just making it up yeah <laughs> we make just, it up we're just making up names yeah uh, we want to see your beautiful uh, faces president trump your t-shirt's on the way you know <laughs> it didn't happen I just, <laughs> but uh you know we got that and then uh, on on the same website also uh keep in mind that we have um 
of the donate button if you want to make a donation to the show. You can also get our Patreon page there. And uh, like I said, I'm not going to keep hashing this every single week, but you do for the three dollar, the five dollar, and a ten dollar monthly donation. You do get extra shows out of it. We're going to do a listener show, which would be like I said, at least an hour long, and it's going to be uh, uh, basically me and Tracy sitting around and chatting with you guys. You guys are just going to tell us your ghost stories, and uh, we'll interact with you and have some fun. And I think you guys will get a big kick out of it. Like I said, we've already recorded uh, some of these. So I'm excited. The first one will come out June 1st, and we're going to put that one out on the first of every month. And then uh, the second show will be much like our regular show. Uh, we will probably throw some true crime in there. I know we're going to do some um, Jim Jones occult, probably do some like Jack the Ripper. I want to try to keep it the kind of creepy true crime. And then sometimes we're just going to do a regular paranormal show, so it won't, it'll be the same as what you get. But the reality of it is you're going to end up getting two extra shows a month instead of four shows. You get six. Or we may do true crime stories in Lexington. <laughs> no, yeah, just kidding. No, no kidding. <laughs> But uh, and then, like I said, someone like the we've got we've got actually a lot more people do the ten dollar a month thing than I thought we were going to, and those people also get a fifteen minute Skype session every month with me and Tracy where we can just talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on to some more of these stories. And well, before I move on, because I already forgot and I just determined I wasn't going to do this. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our military and civil servants out there all over the world, no matter what country you're in, no matter who you uh, are serving for. Thank you for what you do. We love you guys. Amen. All right, now let's go on. This story is about a six-year-old by the name of James Lyinger. Now, as a little boy, he would only play with toy planes. And then when he was two years old, he started having nightmares, and when his family would wake him up and ask him uh, what the nightmares were about, he would say, airplane crash, on fire, little man can't get out. Oh, poor baby. That's terrible. So over time, he started giving more and more details that really were, were like beyond belief. He said he flew a Corsair that would always get flat tires. Why? I mean, that's weird. Well, I mean, they have landing tires. It's not like he's riding along and gets a flat. Well, no, I know, but that, don't you think it's weird, though? I mean... Well, I mean, it's a very specific detail, though. That's the, I guess that's the whole point. I guess. He said that his plane was hit by a Japanese plane uh, during World War II. Oh, my gosh. He went into really major details. Uh, he said that he took off from Natoma and uh, flew with Jack Larson, name to name, <laughs> Now, what they found out was um, both of them, those things were real. The Natoma Bay was an aircraft, small aircraft carrier in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And Jack Larson actually did fly out of that unit. And he said that he did actually have a James that he flew next to. And he witnessed the plane get hit. And he got hit head on right where the motor was. And it went down. And this matched up because the little boy actually said that the plane was shot down in the in the uh, bullet of the bomb mm -hmm. actually hit where the motor was. And so that was very specific. He said he started, the little boy actually started signing his name on like um, drawings and stuff. Mm -hmm. James 3. James 3. So he was, he was James Jr., James Langer Jr., but... 
the gentleman who had passed away, his name was James Houston Jr., mm. which would kind of make him yeah, the James third. the Third. Mm-hmm. Um, so they went ahead and they and they they started doing some research about what happened. This was in Iwo Jima, actually, is mm-hmm. where this happened at, and. For just the fact that a, that a six-year-old boy is talking about Iwo Jima. Oh, of I course. Mean, you know, who? how's he going to know anything about Iwo Jima? Yeah, yeah. I know I didn't know anything about it when I was six years old. Right. So they started doing some research, and then they found out that there was only one pilot killed at that attack on Iwo Jima, and it was James Houston Jr. That's crazy. You know what else is crazy? And I'm glad he didn't die, but isn't it kind of weird that the other guy didn't die? Well, he was in a plane next time. He wasn't in the same plane. Oh, because it was like a single pilot. Right, these were all single. Oh, planes. I got you. Yeah, I got but they you. were all. But he flying. saw. He they saw were all it. flying in unison with each other. You know, several oh, planes. Oh man, man. Mm. So Ralph Claiborne actually says that he was the rear gunner, and he was next to Houston. That's the guy that they talked to. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't. I said it was Jack Larson earlier, but Jack Larson was a guy who was in that unit. Mm-hmm. But the Ralph uh, Claiborne's the guy who actually said he saw him get hit. So I was mm-hmm. wrong on that. Kind of be apologize. horrible to witness. Here comes a negative review. Um, either, even more, they went and talked to Houston's sister. Mm-hmm. And they told him, they were telling her all the details. Yeah. And she confirmed almost every detail that he said. And, and she said that she was convinced that this kid was the reincarnation of her brother. Because there was just so just too many. there was just too many things that he could not have known. Wow, I just that would be cool though. I mean, I, I, yeah, I just don't understand how this works. It's I, it's just mind boggling to me. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so amazing. But but you are still amazed at how a calculator works, also. I am amazed about how a fax machine works. <laughs> I will say that. I just that is just amazing. This is so cool. <laughs> All right, everybody, just wanted to uh, – we ran into some guys at a, at a uh, function that we were doing on Sunday, a benefit me and Tracy were doing, and I told them I would give them a mention. Uh, these guys all work at the Ford plant in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, I say guys, but it's guys and gals. But there's, they said there's about 12 to 15 of them that listen to the show, and then they go out on breaks, and then they discuss the show. They said they listen to like three or four episodes, and then they go on break and discuss it and go back and do it again. That is so amazing. Which is pretty cool. Uh, and I think Tabitha Brown, who actually no longer works at the plant, was responsible for most of this because we talked a while back, and she said she was telling everybody. And uh, she still listens to the show, but she lives in Texas. So, hey, Tabitha. Hey. But I talked to uh, a couple of the guys. One, The guy we ran into, obviously, was Rob Blevins. Super nice guy. He made uh, Tracy feel like a rock star with how excited <laughs> he was to see us. And I know. I was like, what's happening here? It was so very <laughs> cool, he, though. He couldn't wait to get a picture, and, and he was all excited to post it on Facebook. Yeah. And, uh, and super, super nice guy and very talented as well. Yeah, hell of a drummer. Yes. And then uh, Denny Atkins. I talk to Denny all the time on, on Facebook. Haven't had a chance to meet him in person yet. But... Uh, Kudos to all you guys. Thank you for listening so much. So a big shout out to the Fort Plant in Louisville. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Um, this episode, as as I've said, is is one I thought was going to be very special because we're talking about past lives. And I kind of look at all these. that we, We've always getting people send in their stories. And, and one of the stories that was sent in, just oddly enough, this week just really fit this episode. 
And I, I talked to the young lady and asked her, could she come on the air and tell the story? And she agreed to. So please welcome to the show a special guest. This is Paula from Missouri. Paula, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm feeling very flattered. I just got called a young lady. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the so, show. Thank you for that. Oh, welcome, absolutely. Well, compared to Tracy, oh. everybody's a young lady. Dang so. <laughs> what, a, oh, no. what a heifer you are. <laughs> So, Paula, the, the, you had written me a story, and uh, I'll let you go into the details, but it's a very sensitive subject for a lot of people, but it does tie into what we're talking about tonight. Do you want to uh, explain to the audience uh, a, a situation that happened uh, in your personal life a while back and how it may have turned into a positive? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's kind of funny if... Uh, got two kids um uh and they're just joys you know kids are kind of special and um it wasn't long after my dad had passed away back in uh, 2006 that I found out I was pregnant and um my daughter who is about you know, seven at the time was just very excited to get to be a big sister and my husband uh my second husband because I traded up um and was very excited to get the, uh, you know, father from the very beginning rather than picking up at, uh, year three. So, or year five. So he was, we were very excited, very happy. You know, we lost one life, but we're about to bring another one in. And, um, then, uh, uh, just about three months in, something went very wrong and it was, uh, it was very sad. We, um, we lost the baby and, uh, we're just kind of, just kind of devastated. Um, you know, we already lost my dad. Now we lost, uh, a little bit of, a little bit of joy we thought was coming into our lives. But, um, I got pregnant again about six months later and, um, and my son was born, uh, my Alan, who actually is named after my dad. <clears throat> my, uh, husband suggested it. Now my mom likes him better than me, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But um, Alan was just a little pumpkin, and uh, when he was about three years old, he's nine now, but when he was about three and still listened to me, um, we were getting ready for bed, and I was having him pick up his toys in his room, and he just kind of stopped and um, and kind of looked at me and said, you know, I was going to come to you and Daddy earlier, but I just wasn't ready yet. They said I wasn't ready yet, so I had to leave, but then I came back, and now I get to stay with you. And I'm just sitting there looking at him going, what? <laughs> so, and I tried to question him about it. And he was just like, oh, you know, I get to stay with you now. But I wasn't ready before or something like that. It was kind of interesting. But I'm sitting there going, well, he had no idea, obviously, at the age of three that I had a miscarriage before. So I just couldn't help but wonder, is that what he's trying to tell me? That, you know, it just wasn't time yet. I had to wait six months so it could be born on leap day or something. Because, uh <laughs> can't have a normal birthday in my family so but it was just fun it was very it was it just lit up kind of lit us all up when he did that so yeah I don't know how how you would react to that that is just amazing I mean does that is that really the first thing that you thought when he said that um that was that was the first thing that ran through my head and I'm like that has to be and, and, and when I tried to question him about it he just said you know, I wasn't ready yet. And then he just went back to his trains. Oh. Uh, 
but he was just, uh, it, it, was, it was just kind of interesting. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to take him for what he said, that he tried to come earlier and couldn't, so there he is. Yeah, that so, is so special. What what a blessing. Yeah, it really was. It, uh, it, it was quite an experience, and he's just been a pure joy ever since. A little annoying joy sometimes, but a joy nonetheless. <laughs> so looking back at the situation now, do you feel like that's what happened? I do think that is what happened. Um, you know, because I think with uh, dad passing and everything, I, I don't think that um, we were necessarily in the mindset. I don't know that we were ready. I don't know necessarily that he was ready. And um but the way things ended up happening, I mean, like I said, he was the minute we heard his due date was March 10th. We knew he was going to be a February 29th baby just because that's where family rolls. Oh, cool. We can hit something highly inconvenient. Let's go for that. Um, <laughs> I've got a I've got a niece. Her birthday is February 29th. I know. So do you do the uh, oh, uh, you know, great. You're, you're it's had your second birthday. He hated the year I did that. His mom, I'm eight. I don't care. It's only your second birthday. I don't care if you're eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they uh, they just celebrate it whatever the closest uh, convenient day is. I think. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 26th is Saturday. Guess today's your birthday. <laughs> I know. We picked February because I didn't want to get confusing with the birthstone jewelry. I'm like, yeah, forget it. You're an amethyst. <laughs> <laughs> Well, darling, we, uh, we're so sorry that you had to endure the tragedy to get to the, the, the point in life to where the, the happiness finally came. And we're glad that you, you did get that happiness and that bundle of joy that you and your husband so desperately needed at that time. Um, yeah. And we definitely thank you so much for being a supporter of the show. You're actually one of our uh, Patreon members. Thank you for that. Yes, thank you, honey. And uh, you, you gotta, you've got you turned your daughter on to listening to us, which she has some fascinating stories of her own that we're going to get her on one of the listener episodes. Uh, but, you know, we, okay. you, you've done a wonder for us as far as uh, coming on and sharing that story on, on the perfect episode and at the same time supporting the show by, by telling all your friends and family and financially supporting the show. We can't thank you enough. And not only that, we gained another great friend or family as we call you and that means more to us than uh -huh. anything uh, I, I appreciate it you guys are wonderful and I, I still enjoy listening and my daughter has really she binged listened once she uh, once I got her turned on to you and we're just happy to be a part of it any way we can so I appreciate it and, and all the work you guys put into this it's it's awesome thank you so much yeah, thank you so much, Paula, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. All right, sounds great. Thank you. Bye, honey. All right, well, let's talk about our eighth story. There was a little boy born in Turkey whose name was Samid Tusma. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he could start talking, he wanted to be called Selene Fesley. And he said that he was the reincarnation of Celine Fesley. He just flat up not I think he's he this boy was just flat up this is who I am. Celine is that a boy or a girl? It's a boy. Celine's a boy? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the family they found out that in a neighboring village there was a man named Fesley who was accidentally killed by a gunshot to the face and the ear mm. 
where eerily enough, I said eerily. I got you. <laughs> I heard that. Samid actually had a birthmark. He had a birthmark on his ear and his face. <laughs> Was it a bullet? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> he was very clear on his memory of his family. And he actually walked from his village to the next village. Walked straight into his old house. Walked right up to the woman and told her of his widow. Told her, I'm Celine. You're my wife, Katit. Oh, my gosh. He gave details of their life together and of their kids. And he also said that his murder or his dying was not an accident. <gasps> that no. he was shot and killed over a dispute. Are you kidding me? Nope. So I wonder what she did. I wonder what she's like saying. It, I mean, I wonder what she said. Well, she confirmed to the family that everything that that little boy had just said was 100% accurate. From the kids to how old they were. Where they were born, details about them, details about their life together. How could you even handle that? I mean, how I don't know how she would even handle that, knowing that that was her husband, but he's a kid. I don't know. It's like big. Yeah, you're exactly right. It is like big, a little bit. (laughs) Big. I mean... I guess I'm trying to put myself in their in their position. I don't even know. I mean, I mean, I guess they became best friends after all that. I guess maybe and. Now you're just making shit up. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to make a really happy ending to this story. This is the last story that I've got, and this one's actually a really cool story too. Cameron McCauley. Now, there's there's actually a documentary that the BBC did on this. Um, I can't remember. It's like the boy who lived before or something. I can't remember what the name of it. So I'm really doing you no service at all by even mentioning it. But his name was Cameron McCulley. He was in Glasgow, Scotland. When he was two years old, he said he was from an island called Bora, which is not the same as Bora Bora. That's a different island. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is 160 miles away off the coast of um, um, Scotland. I've heard of that. Now, he's also saying that he used to sit in his room of this big white house and watch planes land on the beach. And as they were talking about it, he starts talking about, well, he had a black and white dog. Uh, He talked about his family. His dad's name was Shane Robertson. Uh, But he died because he didn't look both ways when he crossed the street. Oh, Jesus. People look both ways before you cross the street. Yes, public service announcement. Mm. So the mom asked how he came to be her kid. And he said, well, I fell down from the sky and landed in your stomach. And his name was Cameron now. And he said his name was Cameron before in his past life. Kind of weird. That is weird. So, you know, they're thinking initially, you know, this kid's just got an active imagination. But he was so persistent that they got in contact with Dr. Tucker, the same gentleman from the University of Virginia. 
and they went to Bora in 2005. When they got there, it was just as he described. They found uh, the old White House. Unfortunately, the family that had lived there had died and passed away. But the family's name who used to live there was Robertson, exactly as he said. They verified that the the dad's name uh, was Shane and that he did die in an automobile accident as a pedestrian, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what the little boy said, not watching both ways when he crossed the street. Mm -hmm. The funny thing about all this is nobody could let them in the house because the family had been deceased, but the caretaker let them in the house. The little boy went in and he knew the exact layout of the house. He knew where every room was, what you know, where the windows were. He he had already beforehand told them how mm-hmm. the house was. Yeah. And when they went there, it was like he'd been there, you know, a thousand times before. Um, that's a freaky story. Yeah. And like I said, it was naked. They went out, looked out his bedroom window, and you could actually see, see the planes planes landing on the beach. <laughs> That's so cool. So how about that for nine really cool stories? I mean, I could listen to those all day. Oh, I mean, and there's so a, interesting. And there's a bunch of other ones. I mean, I don't have all the complete details, but there was one uh, of this little boy. Um, he was like four, I think, mm-hmm. that said that he was uh, an 18-year-old soldier in the war. Oh. And uh, he kept talking about He started having these throat pains, and he kept saying that's where he got shot. That's where he got shot. And they took him to a uh, the doctor and looked, and he had um, some kind of um, like a cyst or or tumor or something inside his throat. No kidding. And you mean as as a little boy? As a little boy, uh, but he kept saying the pain was where he got shot. Now, once he told people, after telling them that that he was a soldier in the war and he got shot and all that stuff, after he told that, the uh, cyst or the tumor or whatever it was went away and then he quit talking about it anymore. <laughs> so he just kind of mentioned it. There it was and it went away. And then there was a, um, there was another little kid that said he was a famous screenwriter back in the golden day of television and they were asking who he was and he said uh, they were naming off movies. So well, what did you write? And they started naming off movies and they read, read off Gone with the Wind. And he's like, yes, Get out of here. He's like, yeah, I wrote that. Nuh-uh. And they said, well, what was your name? And like I said, I can't remember all the details, but the bottom line was he said that his name was like Alan. I'll just say Alan. for the, No, Cole. His name was Cole. And he died when he was 48 years old. Well, come to find out, the guy who was the screenwriter for Gone with the Wind, his middle name was Cole, and he had died when he was 48 years old. And his birthday was he said when his birthday was it was like June twenty second, mm-hmm. and his birthday was June twenty second, and this little boy's birthday was like two days later, like June twenty fourth. That's incredible. And I mean, like I said, these are just kids stories. There's tons of adult stories out there too, where they remember past lives, and and I don't know. It's this is kind of uh, going back to one of my favorite um, podcasts, but unexplained. One of the very first episodes. Uh, that I listened to of Unexplained, which got me hooked, was kind of on past lives. Mm-hmm. And it was a story about a couple in England who had um, uh, two little girls. I think I want to say one was like 11 and the other one was eight. 
and they were walking to church with a little boy. Oh, I remember that. And a lady uh, that was having depression problems had taken a bunch of pills, and she was driving down the road, and she saw them, and she'd veered off the road, purposely hit and killed all three of these kids. Yeah. And uh, when this happened, she ended up going to jail because she confessed to it. Yeah. And she ended up going to jail. And I think a year later, two years later, the couple got pregnant. And for some reason, the dad just knew that she was pregnant with twins. And the doctor kept saying, no, it's just one kid. It's just Mm -hmm. one kid. But when when they were born, it actually was twins. Now, so the sisters before were twins? No, the sister, one was like 11 and one was like eight. Oh, okay. Okay. And but these these girls were born were twins, but they they weren't identical twins. They didn't look alike. And then as they started getting older, two three years older, they started uh, having these memories of stuff that was very similar to their sisters mm-hmm. who had passed away. And I remember, uh, you know, one time they were the the mother had pulled out toys that she had put away from, her uh, from, other girls. from the other girls. And when she pulled them out, the girls knew all the nicknames for the toys. Oh. It was like, oh, this is so-and-so, and that's so-and-so. But she said one time they were walking to the next town over. The, the, uh, they were like, uh, oh, that that's right over, right over the hill is our favorite playground. And they hadn't been to this playground. And you couldn't see it because of the trees and yeah. everything. But they knew that playground was over there, and they had never been there before. And then there was an instance to where they had birthmarks. One of them had a birthmark exactly where the other one had a birthmark. And uh, they said, even though they were the same age, one of them definitely took like the older sister role. Mm-hmm. And she would kind of give guidance to the other sister, just like her, the older sister did to the younger one before they were so killed. Did, did they know, did they point out where they were killed then or they, anything like that? Well, or? what they did at one point was the mom said she walked in because the mom was real religious in a Christian way. And a lot of Christians don't believe in, in that, uh, reincarnation. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's just, mm-hmm. that's just out of their belief. But she said she walked in on them one day and the one little girl was laying down and the other little girl was over top of her. And she said something like, see, this is where, um, uh, this is where the, you were bleeding from the car wreck or something of that nature. But when the mom heard that, she just instantly was like, okay, maybe this is something going on, but they were actually describing the car wreck they were in. And there was the fact that there was blood and wow and all that. So, so that was sort of like a blessing then for her. It's like she got her two little girls back. Yeah, it's back. almost like because they said these the two girls had the same personalities. Each Aww, one had the personalities of the other so ones. That's so awesome. So, but like, hey, I would advise anybody to go back. Like I said, that's Richard McLean uh, Smith's uh, Unexplained podcast. We've had Richard on the show. Go back and listen to that. That's actually from season one. That's probably one of the first three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember exactly which one, but go back and listen to that. It's an awesome, awesome show. So what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to wrap this show up. We appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so very much. Uh, We love each and every one of you. And like I said, to whoever wrote that review earlier, we've had some fun with you this show, but it's all out of love. You know, it's, we've got complete respect for everybody's opinion. Absolutely. And listen, you guys, it's Memorial day weekend and um, y'all just be safe. Have a good weekend with your families and everything. And just remember our loved ones that's gone on and all that fun stuff. And um, just, you know, like I always say, love one another and just have a good, safe weekend. 
Yep, and uh, get ready for we're ready to play the interview from Bo Keister. Uh, you're going to love this guy. Check out his show, Hillbilly Horror Show. It's on YouTube. Uh, you can see all those shows on there. I love his name, Bo Keister. Yeah, he's funny as hell. Dude, when he's just talking regular, he's like he's a character. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the character he plays is him. He's yeah. not really doing much acting, but he really is a pretty good actor. So give a listen to that. Uh, see what you think. And keep in mind, go back and listen to the Aleister Crowley episode because Monday night I'm going to put a question up on Facebook and whoever can answer that question from that episode will get one of these free DVDs I've mailed out to you. So we'll catch you guys next week. All right, everybody, welcome back to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And we have got a special guest on the phone. I've actually got this set up a couple of weeks ago, and I've been excited uh, ever since I found out. But we've actually got Bo Keister. He's a really established actor out there, and he is one of the hosts of Hillbilly Horror Show. And if you've actually uh, had a chance to see that, you know what a cool uh, aspect that is because they do some uh, satire, some some hillbilly-type uh, comedy. It's it's him and... Uh, uh, Scott and Rachel, and they play Lulu and Cephas on the show, along with Bo playing Bo. That's quite the stretch there, Bo. Yeah. <laughs> but It was just, it was natural. It was very natural for me. But you guys are funny as hell. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't pay a lot of attention to what you say because my eyes are fixed on Lulu the whole time I'm watching. And uh, I think y'all planned yeah, it that you, way. you and everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's some, some nifty camera work is all I'll say. Um, <laughs> no, it's not planned at all. Abs- we wouldn't do that. Absolutely. Well, Bo, you guys, for, there's a lot of people out there that may not right off know who you are by name, but I guarantee if they saw you, uh, they would know that some of the movies you've been in. And what I liked about looking at your catalog is you've actually got a wide range. I mean, you've done some stuff that's definitely in the, in the horror genre, like a, a movie called the taking of Deborah Logan, which is an awesome film. Uh, if, if uh, you guys haven't seen it, it's on Netflix and you also did the house of good and evil, which is those two movies. There's, there's nothing comical about them. They're just straight up good horror movies. Uh, but you also do some, some movies away from the, the genre. I'm sure uh, most people have seen the remember the Titans. You were in that and killing Kennedy, which yep. has got Rob Lowe in it. But then you also can do the comedy type horror movies. Like, and I, we were talking off air. Uh, I go back to uh, things like uh, Bruce Campbell's uh, movies where he's always adding a little comedy in there, like the, the original Evil Dead, not the remake they did. But you were in Vampires Anonymous and, and The Cabining, which gets awesome reviews. And you actually have a huge lead uh, in The Cabining. Tell me a little bit about your background as acting, what got you into acting, and what you prefer to do, if you have a preference at all acting-wise. Well, I mean, what got me into it, most of the time I just tell people, shit, I don't know. I think I was crazy. Um, It was a childhood dream. I grew up in love with movies, and I was sitting around at college, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Um, None of the majors really seemed to fit. And Wilmington, North Carolina was the third largest uh, film market in the country at the time. So I went down and checked it out, packed my stuff, and moved a week later. And uh, that's how I got started. I jumped in doing extra work and things like that, started meeting people. And the next thing you know, um, you know, taking acting classes, uh, got in with a really great coach who had been in the business for you know 30 plus years. And was able to really give me a head start that 
a lot of actors flounder around for two or three years trying to find. And uh, I got an eight. I started booking some roles. Vampires not beat my first fiction role. Uh, ended up being a supporting role. And uh, then I did Remember the Titans and uh, a couple other commercials and things like that. And packed up and moved to Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I got to do a lot of different stuff out there. I trained with some really great acting coaches. Um, a lot of coaches that have trained the big, big names in the industry. Um, also got to train at the Groundlings, which produced, you know, people like Will Ferrell and David Spade and some of those. Um, you know, so I, I've, I've had a broad range of training, which gave me the opportunity to play a multitude of roles. I can play heavy dramatic. I can play ridiculous comic and just about anything in between. But I don't have a real, I don't have a real prep. I mean, I, I, I guess I have a knack for comedy because I've just always, you know, kind of been one of those people that relied on his sense of humor in most every situation. Um, but there's something really cool about doing a dramatic character as well. I mean, you really got to kind of dig deep down inside yourself and find some things, uh, clear some skeletons out of the closet on those characters. And that's, that's equally as fun as making people laugh. I could see that. I could see. And it's funny you mentioned Wilmington, North Carolina being the third uh, largest film market. And, and I would bet most people probably don't realize that. But that's where uh, um, Cape Fear was filmed, if I remember yeah. correctly. And that was, uh, that was the first time that I had found out that there was even, you know, movie studios outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I didn't know either. And, uh, you know, I just I found out about it and went down and checked it out. A week later, I was living there. Man, it looks like it looks like a fun place to live. I mean, you know, right there by the ocean, and I guess probably in the winter time it's probably not all that fun. But you know, calculation. Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't uh, necessarily warm in the winter, <laughs> uh, but compared to where I live now in Virginia, <laughs> it, was, it was nicer. <laughs> well, we're you know, like I said, we're practically neighbors because uh, we're right here in Kentucky. I'm in Lexington, so we're not too too far from you. I've been to Virginia a few times. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been up around your area a few times too. Well, let's talk a little bit about Hillbilly Horror Show. Now, the, the, you guys have been nice enough to uh, uh, you're sending us out a DVD that we're going to be able to give to the fans. And for, like I said, for you guys, if you haven't seen it, it's it's worth watching. It's uh, like I said, it's a combination. It, it goes back to the old uh, what was the what was the guy's name? If you remember, Bo, that used to do the. The shows where the drive-in theater was a Joe Bob Briggs was that his name? Yeah, it, Joe Bob Briggs. And that that was back from from my younger days. But he would come out and do this. It's it's kind of along that lines, but I really think it's a lot better, uh, just because of the fact that uh, it's not just somebody sitting around talking. You guys actually put some put together some really funny skits, and work well as a team. And I think that just goes a long way. And then and then they introduce you guys to some really good horror short films that you might not have seen, you know, if it wouldn't for this show. It's kind of a, it's like a showcase for some of these lesser known shows. Uh, and I, I like it. It's, it's it's just a really well put together. And you guys have been doing it for a while. Tell me a little bit about the show, how it got started and how everybody involved in the show, everybody from uh, uh, Scott and Rachel Faulkner actually uh, got brought on. Was that something you guys already had a prior relationship, or was it put together some other way? Well, uh, Blue DeGoya and I had actually worked together on his film, House of Good People, 
and had bannered ideas around on something to do next. And he is actually the one that came up with the idea for the show, and we developed it. Um, he he knew Scott, and Scott had gotten into acting, and of course, you know, he was doing podcasts as well and horror reviews, but he was really getting into acting and fit Cephas perfectly. And then we actually held a casting for Rachel, uh, for the for the character Lulu, and through an agent friend of mine, we found Rachel. And the second we saw her on tape, we were like, yep, that's her. Hmm. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take a, as my dad would say, it doesn't take a rocket surgeon. (laughs) (laughs) So tell people your opinion, because I've babbled a little bit about it. Tell people what your vision of the show was as far as when you guys got together, said, what do we want to accomplish with this show? And how do you think it's, it's went over, uh, as far as what your initial thoughts were as to what the finished product is? Well, uh, Blue actually handles the writing side of it, and he gives us a framework to kind of work within. I mean, we have we do have scripted dialogue, but once we're on set, sometimes that gets uh, reworked. Uh, there's a, I mean, there is some improv done and, and things like that. If you watch from Hillbilly Horror Show 1 all the way through Volume 4, what you'll see is Scott and Rachel and I kind of begin to gel. And the chemistry from the outset was really great between the three of us. And it just kept getting stronger. And then... You know, the show kind of took on its own life when we did. And we evolved it from what originally was a 50-some minute show to a full-length feature in uh, the last couple of volumes. So it, it just, you know, it ended up becoming bigger than we thought it would be. And uh, people seem to love it. And, you know, uh, hopefully they can pick it to eat it up. Tell people out there um, what, what your thoughts are. On, I, I mean, I'm assuming that you feel like that you're doing a service, um, not to sound egotistical because I don't mean it like that, but you're actually providing a service for some of these um, horror films that the shorts, I should say, that, that might not be seen by a lot of people. And now you're getting them to a new demographic. Do you feel like you guys are actually uh, providing a good benefit for those uh, those writers? I, I'd like to think that we are. Uh, you know, I mean, most of these are never going to be seen outside of the film festival circuit. So to give them a platform to get their work out to a, a, a mass audience, I guess, um, hopefully you know, hopefully it brings them more opportunity and, you know, gives them something to point to as well and say, hey, look, you know, we're on, you know, we're on this this series of uh, this Hillbilly Horror Show series that's all over Amazon Prime and all over Voodoo and all over Roku. And, um, you know, they can point people to their work, say, hey, you want to check out some of my work? check out this. And, um, you know, I mean, it's great that they're out there winning awards at festivals and things like that, but you're talking about a very small, tight-knit audience at each of these festivals. And, you know, you might reach a couple hundred people at one or another, or, you know, 
what have you. But getting it out there to a big crowd and, and you know, you know, of course, we do revenue sharing with the filmmakers as well. So they've got a chance to even make some money off of it. How do you guys choose the, the, the shorts that you use? Is there, is there people like submitting these to you or are you, are you guys actively going out and seeking them? How does, it, how do you, how does one get their short onto your show? A bit of both. A lot of times we watch the festival circuits and see if we start seeing a title that's winning multiple festivals, uh, we'll reach out to the filmmakers and say, hey, you know, we, we'd be interested in this for our next volume. Um, a lot of times we get submissions and uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes we get one that just blows us away and other times we get one where we have to send a condolence letter, <laughs> uh, which we hate to do, but... You know, uh, not not all of them are up to the standard that we need them to be. And uh, I mean, we're we're trying to pick the the, the creme de la creme, so to speak. So uh, you know, a lot of times we get some and, and we we love them, but we can't use them um, because of either length, the runtime uh, can be a problem. Uh, they might be too short or they might be too long. Um, a lot of times uh, when you're dealing with um, Roku and, and some of these platforms, they won't allow uh, not necessarily too much violence, but, uh, you know, if something's a little too gory or uh, there's too much nudity or something like that, you know, they won't allow it. So we have to be real careful with that as well. That's good to know. I, it's, that's a new area for me is the Roku streaming. And so, I mean, I, I have a Roku set up at home, but I've never used it for anything other than Netflix and YouTube, I don't think. So um, I didn't realize all the, the rules and regulations that went with some of these Roku channels. Yeah, I guess if you're Amazon, you can get away with more. And Netflix, you can get away with more when you're a smaller outfit. You know, you kind of got to pick and choose your battles. So let me ask you this. On on, uh, on the show, you guys do some awesome skits. And it's obvious that they're really well planned. And I would advise anybody to, uh, if they if they don't have the, the prime or whatever, to be able to, to check out the full episodes. There's some cool clips on YouTube that really give you a, a taste of what the show is. But my favorite skit that I've seen is the uh, the Kim Jong Un uh, skit with the mullets. <laughs> whose yeah. whose idea was that? Was that was that one of you guys, or, or does it go back to oh, that the blue? was all that was all blue? That was all blues doing. Um, and funny enough, that sparked from uh, when Kim Jong Un kind of went missing a couple of years ago, and it was reported on the news. And then he got the idea to incorporate this into the show and then after we had filmed and the show was being edited was when all of the hubbub and bullshit started about the james franco movie where uh kim jong-un was raising mortal hell about it and calling it an act of war and all this stuff oh, i yeah, can't yeah. remember the name of the movie that was the, but, the uh, one with seth rogan was that it yeah yeah and you know, I mean, I'm sitting there like, shit, man, we, we were, we were making fun of him way before you guys, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, I guess we didn't have Sony's budget. So go figure. Well, they also didn't hack your email. And so you guys, I guess you got the advantage of that. What do you yeah, have? A- well, I mean, they, they wouldn't have found much except probably links to porn sites. I don't know. <laughs> do you, uh, do you have a favorite skit that you guys have done that stands out above the other ones? Oh man. There's, uh, there's a skit in volume three where uh, Rachel is holding a seance 
for her. She puts it a, a seance. And I, I'm like, ain't that a singer? <laughs> but uh, that one, it, she starts going into convulsion. That That's a pretty funny skit right there. But like I said, there, there's everything that I've seen. I thought was very well done and and uh, super funny. And I, you know, like I said, I I can't wait to uh, dive into it a little bit more and and uh, be able to see some of these. But I also can't wait to see some of your other stuff. I mean, the the more I actually looked into your bio, the more that I I saw these things. It was like, man, like the cabining, for example, just that movie just seems phenomenal. I I, I watched the extended trailer on YouTube. And uh, I was like, man, this has got this is something I was already looking to see if I could find it, you know, that night. Um, so it's, it looks like an awesome movie. I know it won a bunch of awards. Um, so, I mean, that's that's something I would advise people to check out. And also, yeah, that, that, that's a fun film. They also they, I mean, had so much fun making that. They, they, you guys also have to check out there's a uh, there's Bo's bloopers. On uh, all the outtakes, a bunch of the outtakes from uh, Hillbilly Horror Show. That's pretty funny in its own right. So you guys got to check that out, too. Yeah, and definitely check out the behind the scenes as well. Um, we did a series of interviews with the cast and crew that are very uh, um, Christopher Guest, uh, this is Final Tap, A Mighty Wind style interviews and uh that just turned out fantastic Bo, you got anything you got anything you're working on right now that just hadn't been released yet that you can actually talk about well i've uh i've got a pilot uh that's out there being shopped around uh that i'll if it gets picked up i'll be a recurring character but i can't really say much beyond that but uh it's got some pretty uh pretty exciting people attached to it uh the pilot turned out really great um, I was thrilled to be a part of it, and uh, hopefully with uh, the heavy hitters that are behind it on the producing end, uh, Hulu or Amazon Prime or Netflix, one will pick it up, and uh, then I'll be able to come back and tell you all about it. Cool. We'd be glad to have you back on. What's the future of Hillbilly Horror Show? We got some uh, upcoming episodes coming to that? Yeah, uh, that's what we're working on now. Uh, we're trying to get everything ironed out and hammered together so that we can get uh, get back at it again. Uh, in the meantime, you know, just want to get everybody to, you know, get out there and check it out. Uh, it's available on uh, Amazon Prime, Vudu. Uh, if you've got a Roku stick, you can also download... Uh, our channel, Hillbilly Horror Show Part Duh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, watch it there, and there's all kinds of bonus features uh, along with that. So, uh, you know, get out there and check it out because uh, it's a fun show, and we're looking to build our audience, and the goal is to eventually pitch it to a network. Well, like I said, I can't appreciate, you know, you enough for, for coming on and, and doing this. I know you're uh, you're driving today back from from Atlanta, and I know that's uh, that's not an easy drive. And you still took the time to talk to us. Uh, like I said, we greatly appreciate. it. I know the fans appreciate it. They they love our guests, especially when they're involved in the uh, the horror uh, genre at all. And uh, like I said, I, you guys, the show's funny as hell. So anybody who hadn't seen it, it's there on YouTube to build see some clips and and all the other platforms that Bo just mentioned. Uh, Bo, thank you so much, and and best of luck to you and the cast of Hillbilly Horror Show, and best of luck on your future on uh, your uh, endeavors you got coming up. I appreciate it, brother, and uh, you know, best of luck with your show, man. I love being on, and uh, would love to come back again sometime. We'll definitely have you back on anytime you got something, and when you guys get some new episodes out, and you want to. Uh, talk about it. We'll have you back on. Sounds like a plan to me. All right. Thank you, Bo. I appreciate it, brother.
All right. Take care.